you to those who uh, are watching us again. This is Disciple Life, the Bible, and Everyday Life. And I am your host. I am Carlos Garduño. And here next to me is our senior pastor or lead pastor, whatever the cool term is nowadays, Dan Newberg. And so, Brother Dan, uh, any opening salvos for this episode? Uh, no. <laughs> well, it's okay. We, we, we allow it. By the way, if you see a big difference, Pastor Dan is using a higher definition camera. I'm using the camera on my MacBook. So just bear with that. Uh, with that being said, yesterday, or uh, not yesterday, I'm still thinking it's Monday. Yesterday, they had a food distribution at Divine. How did that go? Uh, it went really well. Um, we had uh, 50 volunteers which was the greatest turnout in volunteers, uh, volunteerism that we've seen to date. Um, right. And that was an immense blessing uh, because uh, there's just so many things that are going on in the community of divine that I wasn't sure if anybody was going to show. <laughs> and, and yet the Lord brought 50. So um, that was a huge blessing. Um, we, we actually um, completed the distribution at the, the time we advertised uh, that that will start by. So yeah, so we were done at eleven. Um, so so I guess I guess all that Carlos needs to be hearing right now is you need to be in Colorado some more, man. <laughs> I hope that's not God's invitation to saying you need to be open to a call at somewhere else. I hope that's not the case. I really enjoy working alongside you. Anyway, let's move along. I'm actually quite happy for that. Fifty volunteers. How many how many pounds of food distributed? A little a little under twelve thousand pounds of food distributed. Yeah. Um and uh we we served hundred and eighty one families in, in the Praise God. divine. Yeah. So Praise, good stuff. Praise the Lord. Wow. And so we had we I saw the video yesterday where we still celebrate Sydney coming to into newness of life and her pledge of allegiance to the kingdom of heaven, to the savior through baptism. And we have one next week uh, for which we are very excited to be back in town for Lord willing um, during fifth Sunday Jubilee. Uh, this is a very unique uh, circumstance. Would you take a moment to explain to us what is the reasoning behind the pastoral team following you? in introducing earlier this year, uh, January, the fifth Sunday Jubilee. So the, the Jubilee Sundays, as we call them, is a quarterly observance where um, we come together as one church family for the purpose of fellowship and worship. Um, and so where in this year, uh, as the Lord has uh, brought a, a number of folks to come and visit and attend worship in increasing fashion at First Baptist, um, we resumed a second worship service, um, which we all welcomed, yet met with uh, a bit of reservation because we certainly love seeing all of our church family when we gather. And so the prospect of two services means the likelihood that you don't get to see everybody every Sunday just because uh, of nat natural uh, flows and patterns. And so the, the Jubilee Sundays are an intentional time for us to come together as one body in unity um, for fellowship. Uh, and so we, we disband from that first worship service that we meet for. Um, and we also surrender our uh, Bible study or Sunday school hour um, where we come together for a brunch, uh, a family style brunch. And uh, we just fellowship and share a meal together. And then we all go to worship together. 
uh, where we observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper together as one church family um, and, and, and just praise God for all he's doing in and amongst and through us. So um, that's the idea is to, to, to not lose sense of what we understand the, the local church to be. Even uh, even in the midst of growth uh, that necessitates some uh, programmatic um, uh, considerations like multiple services and whatnot, we're still one body, and so it's an intentional um, it's an it's an intentional uh, attempt at preserving those things: one body, one family, what, what have you. Yeah, and so it was something really meaningful, I think, when we started doing that, and people have responded quite well to them. And so as we look forward to Sunday, which is always a thing for Christians as we come together to make much of Christ. By the way, if you hear my son, just ignore him. He, vacation blues, let's put it that way. As okay. we look forward to what we celebrate every Sunday, what also makes it meaningful for me is we have the Lord's Supper, which you mentioned, and that allows us to, again, just come back to that sense of we're, we're looking forward to the day that Sunday worship is every day, to the, to, the, to the finality of time and space where we can actually just see Christ face to face and rejoice in him. So that to me is always encouraging, and it's a great reminder for us, uh, for me, I should say. So let's go back to Sunday, and the, the, the title of the sermon is Under Deconstruction. Um, and you taught us out of Matthew 19, 1 through 26. Yep. Um, so let's talk about the, the title for a moment. I won't ask you how you came up with it. But what is the deconstruction is a very charged word in, in Christian circles um, because that word usually has a negative connotation to it. Oh yeah, you're taking up, you're kicking I, down I, the wall of Christianity. I, I that's worth it. I, I, I flirted with a word that is very popular in liberal or woke Christian circles, um, right. where deconstructionists seek to deconstruct the the faith that is often found uh, uh, within conservative evangelical circles by calling into question aspects of our understanding or the the formation of our faith. Um, right. It, it was no intention in my part to to um, to bring that word uh, or the connotation of that word in a contemporary setting into into uh, consideration, but actually um, to to borrow from the idea of, of that there there is a deconstruction and a healthy one, uh, or uh, that's going on within uh, within time, and it's. God's deconstruction of the, the way in which the world has, been, has constructed itself in opposition uh, to his purposes and, and his kingdom. Um, so right. not, not deconstructing faith, but uh, the act of the spirit by the work of the son and revealing that work uh, to humanity um, to deconstruct the ways in which we've built a system far different uh, than 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 what God um, would have for us at the end of time. Um, right. I mean, there's a, I, I, there's so much that you can, you can borrow from thematically or through illustration with that word. I think about the tower of Babel, um, right. how humanity was constructing something um, that, uh, that was altogether different um, than that would be God's intention. And so what did God do? 
he took he took it upon himself to make sure that that tower was deconstructed um, right. or, or humanity's pursuit. So it's 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 not an altogether evil word. It just depends on how you use it and what your intention is with it. Right. And and thank you for explaining that, because I know that if some of our friends who, by the way, in case you have not figured out their audience, we're not woke. We, we very much like to say what we the artist says. So. Yeah, we we are we have been awakened by the master himself. And so we yeah. go we go to the truth of scripture and as the scripture says it, we simply say, Hey, we deliver the mail, we don't write it. So thank you for explaining that. Um and, and no no I'm not trying to get you into hot water, just trying to explain to the audience, should anyone have a question, what are they doing at First Baptist? Um we're just following scripture. And so with that being said, I see uh, here let me let me just say I'm not afraid of hot water. No, no, no. Well, good. Because sometimes the gospel, the gospel brings hot water, if you will, uh, to the proclaimers. Look at the one. In some cases, it brought hot oil, an upside down cross, <laughs> um, John Knox being chased out of Scotland and going all over Europe for a season of life or speaking the truth to the king. You know, little things like that. Yep. So, by the way, again, not not to not to not to make it awkward. Just trying to example, to explain things so people don't think. We are leading the church in a liberal way. I don't think that's which is kind of important for people to know um, yeah. that we love the truth, we love God, and we know we are not perfect, but He perfects us as we uh, expose ourselves, or rather, as the the uh, Bible exposes light to who we are, so that God can transform that. Um, some assembly required. Um, I don't need instructions. That was the opening salvo of the message. By the way, <clears throat> and mentioning that, I just want to say thank you for bring, making us all understand that we struggle with just following basic instructions to assemble things that we buy from Ikea or Amazon. Um, and so if you want to take it a little further into the spiritual component of application, um, how, why do you think it's so hard for us as human beings to struggle with spiritual instruction? It's our, it's our nature. Um, our, our, our essential nature is to be vehemently opposed to the, the master's instruction. Um, that is a, the, the nature of our fallenness. Um, and, and, and in every sense, we can't help it. Um, I mean, the, the, the scriptures talk about how a dog returns to its own vomit. Um, we often don't talk uh, enough about the disgusting nature of our own nature, um, but yet we return to that and we we reject that because the the essence of fallen humanity, and we derive this um, from the the fall itself in Genesis chapter three. The, the pursuit of Adam and Eve in the garden um, in, in succumbing to the temptation of the serpent was not the because they wanted to taste the fruit, um, not because it was shiny and nice, and not even so much because the serpent really sold the thing. It was at the prospect as the serpent tempted them that if they took of the fruit, they themselves would be God. Mm. gods into themselves. And so the the reason why we struggle is we seek in our own nature to be gods into ourselves. 
That's really when you logically follow this down, it's just that. And what, um, as Paul tells us in scripture and for a free people uh, who may be listening to this, i.e. Americans or some other Westerner who lives in a supposedly free society, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the dichotomy that's presented to us in scripture is we are slaves no matter where we are in life, no matter what system we subscribe to, we are a slave. The question is, are we a slave to the sin and our nature that we're born in? Or are we a slave to a perfect master who would see um, so much more for us? Um, and it's th- this idea of slave or a servant, uh, servitude, if you will. We should not project into this our ideas or our memories from our U.S. history classes um, that have to do with um, the, uh, the the slavery in the in the United States in the in the 19th century. Um, but it is the idea that we are committed to serving <laughs> someone for our lives. And the the idea being, are we committed to serving our sin nature that has us continually and perpetually returned to our own disgusting vomit? Or are right. we serving a, someone who would give us life and transform us? Right. And I, I'm, I'm so thankful that you refer to the to one of the words that usually is not translated as such from the original language, which is doulos, which is the bond servant or bond slave. Um, but rather it's, it's just made as uh, just a servant. Uh, plain and simple, as as though the servant has choice. And I think you're very much right. We impose, superimposed our own understanding of that word without understanding that um, a bond slave is out of love that is he's with his master or her master, and they make a commitment to be with them for life. And I think as you're explaining this, what comes to mind is, whereas we can be a bond slave to Christ, who himself makes us a son and daughter of God, we can also choose, and often most of us are born as bond slaves to Satan and the world by our nature. And the, the difference is where Jesus Christ would make us part of the family. Satan comes and he says, oh, no, just wait. Eternity is going to be a great amount of time, uh, which I know is a paradox in itself, where I'm going to punish you. And I will not shower love, but I will shower you. I will shower you with d- disdain and shower you with loneliness, taking you away from the household of God, which is what we see as hell being the presence of God's wrath, a literal place, but also where we are separated eternally from the one master who would give us love, mercy, and grace. Yes, sir. Well, and the, the, the thing about it is while ultimately that's, that's the deal that's being negotiated, he doesn't actually sell you on that. He sells you on the idea that um, instead of these eternal things that maybe you can't um, seize um, physically right now, I will sell you on these very temporal things that you can have right now, right? right? Like status and wealth and power, and um, health. You can have all, and health, and you can have all of those things today, right? So not the late gratification, which is also something we struggle with in our society, especially now because of our social media access through smart devices. Um, But I digress. Um, You also brought about um, launching from this point, how we construct a system that is not what the master 
had in store for us. Uh, even as God the Father, from the very beginning, did not intend for us to struggle with every, anything that we're going through, but he allowed sin and temptation to come in. You speak to the way that the religious system of the day, when Jesus was present on earth for his early ministry, had subdivided groups of worthiness as to how close they could come to God's presence. And I think you did a wonderful job of showing us how society views the, the particular groups, number one, men, two women, three children. And then you have everyone else who's not of the household of God, according to the Pharisees and all the different scribes and, and teachers of the law. Why don't you walk through, walk us through how does this impact the church today? Because one of the things that we hear quite often in Christian circles and even from critics of the Christian faith is that we put a lot of stock into antiquated teachings and yet it is the gospel that paves the way for what we would call, and I hate this word because it has, again, very liberal context, liberation motives from, cert from certain well, aspects of it. And so what I, what I want to do in answering this question is acknowledge that, um, that there are matters of, of a doctrine of ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church, which... Um, the text doesn't really let us get into that we'll have right. to reserve maybe for another conversation right now. Yeah. Um, so, so with that acknowledgement that there's, that there are matters in governance of church, the way the, the, the way the church is organized, that's tangential to this, but not right. immediately in this text. Right. Um, this text is just talking, if not just, but is presenting to us a picture of society that is to come right. um, that, that that's God's society. Um, the, the, the kingdom of God is you, you'll often hear me refer to, or you can supplant that with the word heaven. Um, but the, the idea of how things will be. And right. if we, if we have in our lives bent our knee in submission to Christ as King, then it's incumbent upon us to live this life. Um, as a as a foreshadow, as a revealing of what's to come, because the, this life is otherworldly as a Christian. Um, right. So it, it's interesting that you're it, you're you're hitting on something that's interesting. Um, that yes, so often the critique of Christianity uh, from the non-Christian circles is the antiquated nature of the teaching. Um, yet. If you if you understand what Christ is teaching to his contemporaries in the incarnation, it's quite progressive. <laughs> uh, it's progressive in the sense that it is it is very much a a, a picture of equality um, it, for, all. You, for all. Right. For all. Um, it is it is normalizing for all. So you take the matter of gender. Um, men are not above women. In God's kingdom, um, we 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 and you can. This text is not the only place that we find this. By the way, uh, right. and you you can infer this even from John chapter four uh, with the woman at the well. Um, you know, it, notice when you read that passage how astute John is to tell us um, the reference points between Jesus and the woman. 
Jesus is not seated above, nor is the woman seated below him as they interact, but they are interacting with each other on equal footing. Right. Um, each of the evangelists would tell us that it is women who discovered the empty tomb. Um, it is women who are the first evangelists, if you will, uh, or the first announcers of the, 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 the essence of the gospel message. He's risen. Um, I mean, if, if you want to make a compelling case for something to be, to be believed uh, in, in the first century, you don't do it with women. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, you, you, you just don't naturally do that. Yet you, you see these these points here. So as to say um, the those that have in our society and the way it's been constructed have been relegated to the rear, if you will, or have been held down. Um, are, that's not the case for them in the kingdom of God. Um, borrowing from the teaching that comes in, in Mark and others uh, in the kingdom of God, the first will be last and the last will be first. Um, so the, this this is a very progressive approach. Um, and again, these are words that, that the culture has now overloaded to mean so much more when, when, I, when we right. use the word like liberating or progressive or um, deconstruction. They, they have, they're, they're now very pregnant terms because they've been co-opted um, right. by, by different groups, just like, by the way, the rainbow has been co-opted by a different group. The rainbow is owned by God. Um, it's what he said in the sky is the reminder that he'll never flood the earth again. Um, but yet here we are and these, these uh, illustrations and themes and words are, are just uh, are, are being stolen um, and repurposed uh, for, for evil, for evil uh, pursuits. I was about to say, wouldn't you know it? The enemy not, is doing what he does best. But uh, it, it's, yeah. And, but, but it, it is true that guys don't have uh, an upper hand on women in God's kingdom. Right. Children have as much access to God as men. Because Jesus, through his cross, has torn the veil. Um, right. The, so there, there, there is that equal footing that, that we each share. Which, you right. know, when you, you talk, to, talk about practical matters of the faith, um, and even things you might see in a church like First Baptist Divine, that's why, um, when, that's why you will see children who have become aware of their sin able to confess Christ as Lord. Um, there, there's still the tension of we're just not baptizing children and saying that they're saved, uh, that, that there, there's no, no evidence of that being a genuine expression of faith, um, that, that sense of someone doing something for you, um, except for what Christ has done for you. Um, right. But um, the, 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 the essence is that once children have become aware of their sin nature, and um, are able to receive and through their understanding and the, the imparting of the work of the spirit that uh, to receive the, the free gift of salvation. Children can come to the master just like 70 year old men can. Right. There, there, there's nothing that would prohibit them because God's right. kingdom is, is not uh, systematized in, in that way. Right. And so I think one of the things that, can be very often misunderstood, but also incendiary is the, the fact that 
you will have people who come and say, we're going to stake everything we do on this one thing. Like, so for example, there's, so someone might hear what you were teaching yesterday to say in the kingdom of God, we're all spiritually equal. Everyone, the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And someone might say, ah, well, in that case, I can, I can do whatever I want because it's equal footing. And so some people might take this to say, uh, Matters of ecclesiology. That's a question. That's a topic for another day. I'm just going to file that, that thought away. Let's keep okay. going. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, you also mentioned is that um, we we sometimes think that we know better than our king. Um, and, and we sometimes tend to go our own direction, which, again, it's very much part of our nature as human beings, because when you know what God in his, in his grace gave us the ability to be critical thinkers um, and to make choice, the, the, the condition that we call free will uh, in a theological terms. As we approach um, the teaching that you brought to us, how can, how can we um, be like children in the kingdom? Because again, you, you borrowed from one of the teachings, if I recall correctly, where you, Jesus says, let the children come to me. Um, so the children are not far off, but they they're 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 they are the example of what it means to have faith. And uh, recalling from another another of the gospel accounts, Jesus places one in between among all of them and says, "This is this this is this is what you need to become to be part of the kingdom of heaven in the sense of the faith of a child." How can we then um, grow into such a childlike faith? You think about, um, I mean, anyone who is listening is obviously a child of somebody. Um, right. And uh, in, in, my, in my bringing that up, I know that I bring up any number of uh, individual experiences and relationships with our earthly parents. Um, so that could be good memories or bad memories. And I, and I acknowledge that at the outset. Uh, and, I, and I do that to say, um, anytime we offer an illustration in trying to relate that to God, there are limits to the effectiveness of, of an illustration. Um, but assuming an otherwise healthy or good relationship between parent and child. Um, a child implicitly trusts their parent to provide right. for their needs. Um, I mean, the, the basic needs, right? Like food, water, shelter, uh, love, uh, the, those, those basic tenets uh, that the humanity needs to thrive. Um, a child does not assume that they're going to be deprived of those things. Um, that's, that's, that's the same type of understanding that I believe Jesus is calling us when we come to him. Um, that in saying that the father in heaven who has sent his perfect son is not going to deprive anyone who has come to him through Jesus of life. Um, we, we, we should not assume that God's nature or God's intent with us is anything but to, to just 
pour his love lavishly out upon us and, and provide for us um, to meet our needs. Um, most ultimately, our need for an answer to the question of, of death that comes by way of sin. Um, we, we should not assume any other intent from God. And so it's, it's in that same understanding that not that I'm a perfect father, but that my children know that I'm going to provide for them. And they, that as far as I understand uh, from them, that that's never been a doubt for them. It's, it's the same basic, um, understanding that we should approach the father with and by. Um, he's going to provide for us. And if, if, if that was ever a doubt, all we need to do is be reminded by looking to his son who went to a cross. I mean, if he's, if he's provided Jesus, why would he then withhold anything else from us? Um, and so it's, it's that, that basic elemental childlike faith that he's going to provide. Why? Because he's our father. And so I, I, I think the trust component is most evident, right? In the sense of we always blindly, I know with my own father, I, I always trusted him to be there for me. And my mom often reminds me, yeah, you, you knew that if you went to him, he would do his level best to get you whatever you ask for. Um, and that was my dad. Whereas, you know, my mom being the disciplinarian, she would be more of the, well, have you earned it? Well, okay, got it. Uh, and just, again, I'm one of those voices that thinks of that when you said that. Um, and so moving to, to the next thing is in light of having a child childlike faith, how do we then as believers address the question that you ask us um, as you were getting close to the conclusion of your message? What are we lacking? That should be a question that we are that we are asking because I believe that's that's um, that's uh, the question from the from the rich young man as Matthew presents him to us. Um, right. He, the, the rich young man asks this question, following two two inquiries that he's made um, to Jesus. Um, the first is, what does one need to do in order to gain eternal life? And Jesus says, um, you know, you need to follow the commands, the commandments. And Jesus gives him, gives him six. Uh, well, he asks, well, which ones? And Jesus gives him six. Um, and the guy, the guy says, well, I've done this. Um, why is it that I, I'm, I'm maybe, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing right now. Sure. Um, but the, the guy hears this and he says, well, I've done these things. Yet there's still a sense of emptiness within me. Why right. is it that I sense that I'm lacking? I've done these things that you've said. Why, why do I yet feel like that's not enough? Um, and so Jesus answers him and says, well, it's because your, your wealth is what's keeping you um, from, from actually depending and trusting in me. Um, and, and so you, you need to abandon every bit of who you are and what, what you have built and constructed, um, in your mind about yourself that would tell you, uh, or convince yourself that you are something worthy of God's salvation. Um, 
And in that abandonment, you'll actually find the dependency and trust that the children have when they come to the father through the son. Right. So that's, that's the question that he asks. Um, why is it, do I, why is it that I still feel empty? Um, right. and that's a question that we each need to ask ourselves. Um, it, the, the sense of emptiness is derived, um, from the fact as, as the, the teacher or the preacher in, um, Ecclesiastes, uh, he says that God has put eternity in our hearts. Um, so this, this longing, if you will, for fulfillment that only God can provide is embedded within us. That is, that is a, a thumbprint, an aspect of God's thumbprint that he has given each of us in life. Um, and it's almost like it, if, if use that illustration of the thumbprint. Um, you know, we often use a, a fingerprint to unlock things today, right? Um, it, it's only God by placing his thumb upon us, if you will, that will unlock that fulfilling aspect of life that the world will seek to fill, but will still leave us ever more empty for the right. rich young man. Wealth and possession and all of the affluence and status that came with it tried to fill in for that that emptiness. Right. And it still left him empty. Um, the world will, will do this. Uh, Tim Keller writes a book called Counterfeit Gods. And each chapter talks about uh, or offers to you um, the, the, the counterfeit gods that try to place their thumbprint and unlocking the eternity that's been implanted within our hearts. Um, right. So those would be things like sex and power and wealth. And I think there's like eight or nine chapters in the book for these false gods um, that we don't acknowledge as such, but really are. Um, right. And none of them, they, they, they will offer you temporary pleasure, but they will never offer you lasting fulfillment. And that's the point of differentiation between the one true God and the number of false gods in the world. Right. And to put it into, the, into some of the fruit of the spirit where the world gives us happiness, the, the fruit of the spirit gives us joy. Right. And peace. Um, and many and seven others. Uh, but anyway. It's all, it's all one. Um, I, one of the things as, as you were recounting that is um, I remember a, a, a sermon I've heard before on, on that particular interaction, Jesus and the rich young ruler. And the preacher at that time said, well, the reason why he's lacking is because he's broken the first four while keeping the other six, making, thinking even in the way he addresses Jesus, good teacher. And even in the, the way Jesus replies, uh, who alone but God is good? Why do you call me good? Right. Anyway, and then he makes himself like God by saying, I've kept all of them. Anyway, moving forward. Um, how do we um, how do we as a church, uh, appreciating the fact that, again, we've been reading the Bible chronologically. We are getting ex exceedingly close, much anticipation and excitement as we look to the unfolding of the story. Uh, in Revelation. Now, Revelations, don't do that, folks. That's a good way of getting it under Pastor Dan's skin. It's one Revelation, not multiple. Um, how do we um, harmonize the fact that in quick succession, Jesus is dealing with 
children, status, understanding of eternity, but also with wealth and power as the world presents them. And there I say, as the church for the last 150 years, speaking just to the United States and Western civilization, have, have adopted this idea. It's, it's 1600 years, man. I mean, pow power has been an aspect of the church um, since since the fourth century, right? Very true. Yes. Uh, seems that the now this may be a term that um, is new to some who are listening, um, but there's the aspect of the the history of the church that is referred to as the militant church, and right. so that's that's calling into um, the the aspects of church history that would see. Um, uh, why am I blanking right now? Um, where well, you can start with Constantine. Uh, yeah, yes, but Constantine, but then the the the, the attempts to reclaim Jerusalem, what, what, the Crusades, back in the eleven, um, the, 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 the aspect. Yeah, so you you have the the church going to war, so to say, quite physically on behalf of God, um, and so under under those currents is, is aspirational power as expressed in the world, right? Um, right. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not seeking to run anybody down. I, I in fact I, what I what I'd rather do is just offer offer um facts and then mm -hmm. leave the listener to do with uh with those facts as god would lead them to but you think about the the church militant that has that has served to um offer a foundation to uh to the roman catholic church in rome um and the I mean, they're, they're, that church militant um, brought about much uh, spoil from war um, mm -hmm. through access of, of uh, means and gold and whatnot. That the, that church has much influence and power today, um, and has through through the last millennia, um, not because it's an expression of what of God's kingdom so much as it is a sync a syncretization of the church and the systems of power in the world right now i picked on one uh with the roman catholic church but christianity in itself it, it, it's not just exclusive to catholics um Right. The, the 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 temptation to power um, and and status it, it it's it's consistent across uh, the, the the spectrum of Christianity. I mean, right. you, you look at Matthew chapter four and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The three appeals right. of the evil one to Jesus all have to do with, "I will give you the keys to the world today, man." Um. And well-meaning Christians have very happily said, "Here, put them in, put them in my hand, right here," because right. they're they're seeking to accomplish some ends that would see them um, uh, reveled or remembered um, because of right. their work. <laughs> makes me makes me think of a quote. Um, I don't know who said it, <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't say it because um, I can't cite my resources, but. Um, 
It's, we can always the, put on the comments so we don't end up with an, a host of Southern Baptist pastors. We can put it on the comments below. Well, uh, I'll lead and say someone once said, I think that gets me out of trouble enough, but someone once yes. said uh, the, the, voca the, voca the, the job of the preacher, and I would say really this is the job of every Christian, is to serve the Lord well and do so without being remembered. Right. <laughs> and I, I think if, if that's actually, if that is actually an accomplishment in one's life, then that may be evidence that there was a rejection of the way the world's been constructed. Right. There's a, because we, one of the ingraining of being raised from Catholic to Baptist is the importance of music and theology and song. Uh, the the song uh, is is set to the music of Old Lang Syne, and it should uh, should nothing of our legacy stand. All glory be to Christ uh, is one of the lyrics. Um, in the sense, saying exactly what you're saying, should everything we've done through our lives stand only because it points to Christ and we are for not and we are forgotten. Hey, that's what we're here to do anyway. Right. Um, also, t t making sure that no one feels like we're picking on one particular um, fragmentation of the of Christendom. It's also present in Southern Baptist life. It's present in every other church in the sense that you have pastors who have done horrible things because they think they can, they can get away with it. Uh, sexual abuse, money laundering, uh, embezzlement. Uh, I mean, and it's not just in cults, unfortunately. And this is where I think the more people are engaging with scripture, the more we come to the father as a child trusting, but also growing under his auspices and his grace, uh, that we are able to see clearly and discern clearly um, as a child would having a father that is loving and kind, knowing what true love and good and grace and mercy is and not the, because I love you, I beat you up because I love you. I abuse you because I love you this and, and have a thwarted version of what love and mercy looks like under a false uh, God or in the, uh, in this metaphor I'm using to experience a false sense of love from a father who doesn't know what love is. And so I, th I think that's important for us, to, for all of us to know. Um, I think one of the, the beautiful things that I also see in this, as we go through the reading of the Bible, uh, again, looking to the end of Revelation, the final chapter, is that we see a, a the crimson thread. And what I see here, it goes, points me back to Isaiah and Jeremiah, where he says, hey, there's going to be a day when my spirit will dwell within you, where I will be close to you. And there, all of this, the shadows that have become reality for your sake will go away and you will have the real thing before you. Um, and, and praise be to God, we have that in Christ Jesus. We have that in our, in our resurrected Savior. Um, as, we, as we come to this, I want to ask you one last question, and then we can go into more of a free round where you can have we can have more of a conversation, not just the Grand Inquisitor asking the the gentleman to give us his his reasoning. Um, what would be a word of encouragement to people from other churches who hear us? Because we don't have all the answers; we simply serve faithfully and we grow as we follow our our shepherd. 
what would be an encouragement for us as disciples to continue uh, growing in faith and doing away with the things or deconstructing the things that do not reflect in Scripture? What is a word of encouragement? Read your Bible. Do it faithfully um, and do it humbly. Um, there, 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 there is no other source of truth, um, that, uh, that, that God has given to us, um, in, in, in physical form that, uh, that we, that we have today. Um, I mean, we, we know, we know that, that God is truth. Um, we know that uh, the spirit leads us in truth. Uh, and we know that, that the word of God itself is truth. Um, it is it is what um, is authoritative in life. So my encouragement to anyone who is listening, pick up a copy of the Bible. And if you don't have one, if you come to First Baptist Church, I, I, don't, I don't, when I mean come, I don't mean just like come to church. I mean, show up on a Tuesday morning. We have a Bible for you um, because there's, there, there's no greater encouragement than I can give because God gave his gave what we know is the Bible or what we refer to as the word um, to reveal himself to us. And in revealing himself to us, he's also shown in uh, who we are in contrast to him. Um, remember, the, the not maybe not so much. Remember, know this about the Bible. The Bible is God's telling us about himself. And at times when someone, when we explain something, at times we begin by trying to explain that in the negative or the what, what stands in opposition. So some of what's given to us in the Bible, it gives very many stories about people. It seems very people oriented. Yet God has given us or preserved these stories or these letters um, or these poems or these uh bits of wisdom, all with the intention of revealing who he is to us. And that is truth. Um, that is truth for your life. That is truth for the life of every disciple who would dare follow Jesus. So the encouragement that I would give, read your Bible and do it humbly and um, let the Bible inform your doctrine. Right. So um, that means let the Bible inform how you how you how, what you understand of things. Um, let the Bible inform your ethics or the, the, your morals. Um, don't let the world tell you what's right and wrong. Let God tell you what's right and wrong um, and be willing, be willing to be bold as you follow God's word. Um, because there are many aspects of life that have been constructed that may have been done so with the best intentions, but weren't necessarily consistent with truth. Right. And that requires a degree of boldness to, to stand up and say, brother or sister or friend or uncle or cousin, here's truth. Can we can we can we reason together in light of this? Um, can we can we go before God in prayer in light of this? Because this is truth. This is this is what um, what what can unify us. And uh, apart from that, 
there will be no unity. There will be no agreement because at the end of the day, we come back to the, our nature after the fall, which is we each want to be gods to ourselves and have it our way right away right now. Yeah. You're making me think of at least three different sub-Christian groups, but we won't name, no, name them. They don't, they don't need publicity. We will just highlight the truth and magnify the truth. Um, I want to say thank you. I, I want to say that the, the message in itself was increasingly uh, edifying to me, uh, just listening to it and uh, seeing the, the knitting together of those engagements that Jesus has in that, in that chapter, not even the whole chapter, but 26 verses of it. Um, and also just coming to see the, um, the truth that compared to what the world tells us today and the world has continued to tell generations of people before us from the beginning of time that in order to please God, you need to do these things or in order to fit in, you need to have this much or you to be this, you need to be this old or this particular gender speaking to the being a member of God's kingdom, not necessarily whatever roles he gives us to play um, in his kingdom. Um, that we just need to go back to the simple truths of we're all children of God when we have come into his truth by confessing that Christ is Lord, that he is resurrected, and that everything in his perfect life on earth reflects the truth that he was always God and uh, and continues to be God even as we speak, sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the the end of history as we know it. So with that being said, um, I just want to say thank you. I also want to say thank you in, in what you shared, and this is more pertinent to the people who live in our area, that there are 21, did I get that right? 21,000 people yep. within 15-minute drive of Divine downtown Divine, Texas, yep, which is a four-way stop. Yeah. And so... Uh, and what I really enjoy hearing as a way of a challenge is if all of our churches right now in the area were to be filled to the brim, it's not even, it, it's not room. even percent <laughs> at well, best. Room. Yeah. So, um, and I said this to the wider audience that we still have a mandate to fulfill, right? The great commandment and the great commission. And we still have the, the task of being a church that, whether it's First Baptist, Calvary Divine, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, Calvary, the, the Brother Pettit with Calvary Chapel, but also the, the Calvary Baptist Church with Brother Melanson or any of the churches in the area. Our, com our commandment is not to just make members, but to make disciples and love them and, and shepherd them and guide them. And so I, I do hope that as listeners hear that in the sermon, because it was still broadcasted that we would that we would take it upon our heart, not just in divine, but even here uh, I'm close to Denver and Boulder, that people in Denver and Boulder uh, would come and see and see that they need to reach out there to their communities with the truth of the gospel, much like people in San Antonio, Divine, Castorville, Hondo, Jordanton, Pleasanton need to reach out to our community uh, with the truth of the gospel and, and disciple folks, not just convert them. Um, reading reading Jim Putnam's book, uh, A Life of Discipleship and Making Effective Disciple, uh, Disciple Makers. He says, the Lord did not call us to make converts. The Lord called us to make disciples. Yep. And we must invest ourselves 
that they may grow in the likeness of Christ. So, yeah, so that's a challenging word. Um, that's a challenging word because um, so often it's it, it's been an observation that there are that there are that there are some who would seek and be ready to share their faith and win the lost for Christ. And they'll do so in the front yard of a, of a property. Um, and then they'll invite someone to pray a prayer, but then that person won't be connected to a church. There won't be a follow-up about a, a potential baptism or anything like that. And while yet we know um, that if that person uh, received Christ genuinely in faith, um, right. that they will be with us in, in eternity. There is still so much left um, between a conversion, if you will, and a okay. disciple. Um, and we, we're missing so much um, th that not we, the kingdom is missing so much um, when 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 we view the convert as the finish line. Right. Um, the proverbial finish line in this race where it's the making and the encouraging and the walking alongside brothers and sisters as disciples of Christ. That itself is the race and the finish line isn't crossed until we're face to face with him. Right. Um, so I, get, I guess in, in your sharing that quote, I would just invite us. You often hear me or, or Pastor Carlos challenge us to be ready to give account for the faith we have. We're, we're borrowing or paraphrasing from First Peter or Second Peter. Peter, um, let's just say that. I, um, but uh, the I think it's Second Peter three. Anyway, um, the uh, so yes, be ready to give account for our faith. Be ready to share why you have the faith you have. But you're you're. We're not helping if we just say repent and believe. Um, it's repent and believe and begin to walk in the newness of this life that Christ is calling us to and walk. Let me walk alongside you um, right. there. There's this church or that church um, and you, you, you need to get plugged in. You need to be participating in worship and belonging to a group and and serving someplace. One right. each one of those three things. Um, that's which, that's a that's the life of a healthy healthy disciple, right? Which, by the way, we can borrow this from my wife Catherine. Catherine introduced me to this when she was going through nursing school. She said, "You know, they have this thing at the college," and I said, "Okay, well, what is it?" Well, they teach us one, they show us one, and then they expect us to do one. So that's 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 the best method that this college where she went to in the San Antonio area. Uh, is known for delivering some of the best nurses in the area. And and that's the whole concept of the, all the teachers. You teach them one, you show them one, now expect them to do one, because in doing it, now they're also teaching their peers how to do it. And their peers who also are learning are now also saying, oh, no, you don't forget this, do this. Uh, I think that's the simplest way of doing discipleship, right? We are taught, we then we then teach, and we also show what that teaching looks like in our lives. Right. And so um, I just want to I just wanted to bring that about simply because 
again, if we if we genuinely hold to the faith that Christ will come back and he will, we all need to do our part. And so to our audience, as Pastor Dan has already encouraged you, I don't have to re repeat that, but I will encourage you to do this. Pastor Dan is working on the answer for the first question we've received. So I'm going to encourage our audience, send us comments or questions in the section below if you're watching this on YouTube. If you are listening online through any of the pla pa uh, podcast platforms, do us a favor, uh, send us an email uh, to info at fbcdivine.org, or you can also submit a comment under the episode and we will see that and we, will, we would love to address that and engage with you. Uh, I'm going to do something that we haven't done in the last few episodes. Would it be okay if we close in prayer? Please, brother. All right. Well, let us close in prayer. Most gracious and heavenly Father, I thank you for our audience. I thank you for the chance you give Pastor Dan and I to come together and simply as two friends to talk about scripture, encouraging one another, and also just allowing us the opportunity to go into where Pastor Dan has been in preparing for a sermon, that he may encourage us further to go and follow after you. Father, our lives are for naught if we do not encourage others to love you, to follow you, and to surrender their lives to you. So I pray that as the, the audience hears this, that you may move in their lives, that if they know you, they may grow closer to you. And if they are someone who is not your child or son and daughter, Father, that you will draw them to you and that they may be in, equipped and encouraged by a church that teaches scripture unashamedly and without any sense of adjusting the truth for this generation or the generations to come. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.